I'm Karen Hartglass, and you're listening to the 115th episode of Ask a Vegan. Time marches on, doesn't it? Things just add up. We have so many podcasts now on the Responsible Eating and Living website. Over 300 hours of information. I hope from time to time you visit our It's All About Food archives and the Ask a Vegan archives. There's just so much information there that I hope is useful to you. Okay, this week was really exciting. The last few weeks actually have been really exciting. We had this hurricane in New York, and then we had an election, and then we had a snowstorm. The fun just keeps coming, and today it's a beautiful, beautiful sunny day, and the weather has been quite mild. It's really a really pleasant change, and I hope those that have been challenged by this unfortunate weather we've been having are getting a little bit of relief and recovery. So we had an election, and I'm pretty pleased with the outcome overall, but there's a few uh, things that happen, like this GMO Proposition 37 in California that did not pass. And uh, what does that tell us? There are some organizations that have been promoting people voting yes on this proposition, and, and they're saying, okay, we didn't really lose, we lost, but... The ball is now rolling. There's a lot of attention to genetically modified food and the importance of labeling, and it's just going to be more work, but more people are paying attention, perhaps. But it really shows you, for the most part, how corporations can really get what they want by throwing money into the picture. For Proposition 37, it got crushed because... $45.6 million was invested in advertising by companies like Monsanto and DuPont. And the people that were supporting Proposition 37 raised $8.7 million. So we're talking about $45.6 million versus $8.7 million. And uh, when you read about all the advertising that went into voting against Proposition 37, There were really a lot of lies that went into the material, and it's just unbelievable that the opponents of this proposition got away with as much as they did. And voters, most of them who are probably intelligent people, are just involved in so many other things and busy in their lives, just really didn't get the truth and unfortunately voted this proposition down. Do we have a food movement? Do we have a, what do I want to say? Do we have a concerted effort by people teaming up together to give us quality, healthy food, food that's healthy for us, food that's gentle on the planet? Is there a movement? There are pockets. There are people that are interested in organic, locally grown food, don't want to buy genetically modified food. But can we build a movement in order to get regulation that will support 
our agenda and protect our food supply. Right now, it's still young or it's still not strong enough. Otherwise, this proposition would have been passed maybe next year or in a couple of years. Uh, but it's just amazing how much money went in to fight it. $45.6 million. What is it that they were fighting? Why was it so important for these companies to invest in order to beat down this proposition? You really have to wonder, what do they think would happen if people knew that their food was genetically modified? Are they hiding something? That's what I want to know. Okay, so that's unfortunate, but those of us who are informed, those of us who do care, there are things that we can do. Certainly when you buy food that's organic, you know it's not genetically modified. The unfortunate thing is that genetically modified food can contaminate food that it has not been scientifically manipulated in laboratories because pollen cannot be confined. Things float around in the air and one thing can pollinate another and we have seen a lot of contamination already. How do we protect our food supply? More people are getting interested in organic. I was reading uh, an article that the USDA put out last month. They had the results of the 2011 Certified Organic Production Survey, and they reported that more than $3.5 billion is, I want to rephrase that, I want to say that certified organic growers in the United States sold more than $3.5 billion organically grown agricultural commodities in 2011. There you go. That's a mouthful. $3.5 billion, that's a lot of money for somebody like me. Uh, when you compare it to the farm income of over $100 billion, it's not a lot of money, but it is growing. And it is a significant piece of the agricultural pie. And uh, this report was rather interesting in terms of where the most organic field crops are growing. I was really surprised to read this. Wisconsin leads the nation with more than 110 acres harvested in 2011, followed by New York with organic growers harvesting more than 97 acres. And I was really surprised to see that California comes in third with 91,000 acres of organic field crops harvested in 2011. I thought California gave us the most organic food, but no, it's Wisconsin. And then New York and California is very close to New York. But we're growing all over the place, and that's good. Um, and it's not just plants that we're talking about, plants that are sold as produce. We're also talking about animals that are raised for the production of organic milk. And uh, I don't encourage the production of organic milk or organic livestock. I would rather see no animals raised for food, obviously, but if they're going to be done 
if it's going to be done, organic is definitely better than not. But um, milk is not a healthy food, and people get confused because they think that when they're buying organic milk, it's healthy, and it's not. We shouldn't be, as mammals, consuming milk as adults, let alone the milk of another animal, period. So there we go with genetically modified food. I was really hopeful that we were going to see some significant change there, but if you want some protection against genetically modified food, you're going to have to go to another country because it's not happening here in the United States just yet. Okay, we talk a lot about health on this program, and unfortunately, so many chronic diseases today all of them probably, are caused by the poor foods that people eat, the lifestyle that they have, and so many illnesses and pain and suffering could be prevented by just shifting to a healthier diet. And uh, I would really like to see that happen, and maybe we will. But in the meantime, we have drugs to take care of our problem, and we keep seeing new ones on the market. The FDA just approved a new one, and they always have these great names. Who thinks these things up? I don't even know if I'm going to say this right. Zelianz. It's X-E-L-I-A-N-Z. Zelianz. This just came out November 6th. The FDA approved Zelianz for rheumatoid arthritis, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approves Zelianz to treat adults with moderately to severe active rheumatoid arthritis who have had an inadequate response to or who are intolerant of methotrexate, which must be another drug. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system mistakenly, take, mistakenly attacks healthy tissue leading to inflammation of the joints and surrounding tissues. It affects about 1.5 million Americans. And this lovely new drug, Zelianz, a pill taken twice daily, works by blocking molecules called Janus kinases, which are important in joint inflammation of rheumatoid arthritis. And uh, no drug comes without side effects, right? And this particular drug is associated with an increased risk of serious infections, including opportunistic infections, infections that occur primarily when the immune system is suppressed, tuberculosis, cancers, and lymphoma. And it's also associated with increases in cholesterol and liver enzyme tests and decreases in blood counts. Okay, do you want to take this drug? Now, I imagine that people that are in pain are looking for relief. And unfortunately, we don't hear enough about trying a healthy, plant-based, nutrient-dense diet First, I know many, many people who have had tremendous relief from rheumatoid arthritis and cures by simply changing their diet. And the side effects 
to a healthy plant-based vegan diet? I'm pausing here because it's important to pause. The side effects reduce risk of all the other chronic diseases out there. You don't hear about side effects like tuberculosis and, and increasing serious infections and cancer from a healthy diet. So yes, we have that new drug. I wanted to say that I base my discussions and my information on my own personal experience. And when I went through ovarian cancer treatment, I went through chemotherapy, toxic chemotherapy. And I learned about arthritis and I got my own personal improved understanding. Now I know it's just one data point, anecdotal, one person, but I really believe in this. I had chemotherapy for four months and after that I started feeling this, I, I had arthritis. I had, I would wake up in the morning with stiffness in my wrists, my hands, and in my ankles. Fortunately, when I moved around during the day, it, it would go away, but I would get it in the middle of the night and when I woke up in the morning. And then, unfortunately, I went back for more chemotherapy uh, a few months later because the first round didn't work. And when they give you chemotherapy, they also give you a bunch of different steroids. And this combination makes the symptoms, the sensation of whatever's causing the arthritis, the symptoms go away. You don't feel the pain. There are lots of chemotherapy treatments out today where people are given these toxic chemicals and they don't feel the pain. The question is, what is the long-term effect of being fed toxic chemicals? It can't be good. So what I think happened was, I got this arthritis because my body was trying to remove the toxic chemicals from the chemotherapy that I had been on. And then I, when I was on my second round of chemo, the symptoms went away. Then when I finished that chemo, the symptoms came back because I wasn't being given the drugs that hide the symptoms. And it took a year for all of that toxicity to be cleared out of my body and for all of those aches and pains to go away. It takes time. I think if you're just cleaning up a diet, you will feel relief pretty quickly. Toxic chemicals, getting them out of the body takes a lot longer. But uh, I don't think drugs are the way to go for the most part. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't believe in drugs, period. There are a lot of great drugs out there, but we're a little too drug happy and not thinking about what we can do to prevent and eliminate by simple nutrition. It's November. We've got a lot of holidays going on, and I wanted to talk about some of them. So today is Veterans Day, and I was looking it up. Veterans Day, back during World War I, known as the Great War, when it officially ended, when the Treaty of Versailles was signed on June 28, 1919, in the Palace of Versailles, outside the town of Versailles, France. But fighting ceased 
had ceased seven months earlier when an armistice between the Allied nations and Germany went into effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, 11-11-11. And so that's the reason we celebrate. Uh, and it was on November 11th, 1918, which was generally regarded as the end of the war to end all wars. And we're celebrating those who have fought in wars and those who have lost their lives. And I want to acknowledge those people who have done that. But that said, we know that World War I was not the war to end all wars. We continue to have war. People continue to treat each other badly. I don't believe in war. I don't believe it is a solution. And while we're celebrating Veterans Day, I want to think about peace. The idea of sending young men and women off to risk their lives. How do we do that? These young people, they, many of them, they don't even know what they're doing. And so many of them are traumatized for the rest of their lives. It doesn't make any sense at all. I want to see us starting to focus on peace and not talking about war and eliminating war because that still focuses on war and fighting. Let's focus on peace, being nice to people. What can we do to help? What can we do to be of service to our neighbors? to our community, to our state, to our country, to the world. I put it out there. I put it out there for fun. So today is Veterans Day, but this month is World Vegan Month. And I think it's interesting that Veterans Day and World Vegan Day and World Vegan Month are all in the month of November. Because vegan and promoting Veganism is all about peace, compassion, and not killing. How do we work on getting the focus from Veterans Day to World Vegan Day, where all of us are celebrating and focusing on what we can do to eliminate exploitation and killing? Focusing on peace, focusing on life, focusing on service. Again, I put it out there. Now, it's also the month of Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. Maybe it is my favorite holiday. I love the idea of sitting around with wonderful food and thinking about being thankful. It's an interesting holiday because the history behind it... Uh, is not without problems. Certainly, the story goes, we sat down with the Indians, those that had come to this country, the United States, to uh, find a new way of life. And we met up with the Indians and 
apparently we sat down with them to a harvest and we were grateful for the food and then you know the story we go and we end up blowing these people away how is it we do that and how is it we have a holiday where we sit around and we're thankful we're thankful for the food but we don't think about the harm and the violence that we caused it's really quite an odd thing I think humans are really good at denial <laughs> where we don't think about the parts that are difficult the parts that are ugly the parts that aren't very pleasant and all and we have a way of making it seem like the bad parts of us don't exist I think it's something that's kind of um, part of our our natural software if we have or our not our programming somehow maybe that's part of our survival instincts this denial thing I don't know now there's another holiday going on called Diwali and it's this Tuesday the the 13th of November it's a, actually a five-day festival that starts today, and the actual holiday of Diwali is on Tuesday. And I found out about it because I have some neighbors who are originally from India, and we are going to be celebrating this week. It's the most important holiday in India, and for millions of Indians around the world, it's known as the Festival of Lights. It's a very colorful, festive season, candles are are burned and fireworks go off and of course there's lots of wonderful foods and sweets and I like talking about holidays I like any opportunity to celebrate and certainly learn about other cultures so I'm going to be learning a little bit more about Diwali later this week and uh, if you have anything to share about Diwali if you know about it please uh, let me know I'd love to hear about it also back on Thanksgiving, we have a wonderful food show at the Responsible Eating and Living website, our Thanksgiving Celebration Feast. It features some of my favorite foods for this season, and I hope you give that a watch. Maybe it'll give you some ideas about what to serve for Thanksgiving this year instead of a dead bird on the table. <laughs> Why is it? that we sit and we say we're thankful for all of these things and we put this thing of death at the centerpiece and don't even realize what it is. We humans really are kind of nutty, right? And while we're being thankful, talking about Thanksgiving, I wanted to put a big thank you out there for all the people that have been supporting responsible eating and living we are in our end of the year fund drive we started last month we've raised a little more than half of our goal we want to raise twenty thousand dollars we're still in our fundraising drive so I'm going to mention it because if you can help we would love your support no amount is too small no amount is too large uh, and what we're doing is calling it the virtual pancake breakfast fundraiser. We have 
one pancake recipe that we're promoting during this fundraiser, our sourdough cornmeal pancakes. But we have lots of pancake recipes on our website. And why not? Pancakes can be healthy and a great way to start the day, easy to make, and vegan, nutritious, and gluten-free. We've got lots of those recipes up on the website. I wanted to thank all of those who have contributed to Responsible Eating and Living. I can't say thank you enough. Now this week, I've been doing a lot of cooking, and I wanted to talk about some of the recipes. We did a Middle Eastern theme, and I started with the metze platter. And what I love about this is... It's a great bunch of dishes that can be used for sides or an appetizer. You can bring them to a party. Everybody knows what hummus is. You know, there was a time in this country where nobody knew what hummus was, but now it's really, really popular. It's a great staple. And for vegans and vegetarians, it's uh, really a great food because there are so many places now that serve it up at parties and events and it's something that you know that you can eat. Um, I personally prefer to make my own hummus at home for a number of reasons. Most of the hummus that's available in the stores has preservatives in it, artificial preservatives, things that I don't want to put in my body. And they also tend to be very salty and oily. If you make it at home, you can control that. And either put in a little salt or no salt at all. Put in a little olive oil or none at all. I like the sesame tahini that goes into the hummus, the garbanzo beans, and either lemon juice or lime juice. Uh, this time I put in a bell pepper. I had some lovely organic bell peppers. I tried it once with red pepper and then I had an orange pepper. And it's a really subtle, lovely flavor that comes through in the hummus. I really like it. And then baba ganoush. This is such an easy thing to make. And when I'm making these few salads that I'm talking about, hummus and baba ganoush and some other things that I will get to, I basically do it all at the same time. So I started with the baba ganoush where I took an eggplant. Very simple. I don't peel it. I don't do anything. I just put it in a baking dish, put it in an oven at 400 degrees, and leave it alone for 40 minutes. If I remember, I might open up the oven and carefully turn the eggplant around, but it's not critical. That's it. Very simple. And while it's cooking and getting hot, I can prepare these other things like hummus. So I take out a food processor and I put the hummus in it the pepper, the garbanzo beans. You could use canned beans. I like to make my own beans the day before, cook the garbanzo beans in water until they're soft. Last week I was talking about Eden and their beans. They have salt-free beans that are in cans that don't have that BPA lining, which we're discovering is a kind of a toxic thing to have. So Eden is a great choice for garbanzo beans if you just want to make your hummus from canned, and I like it because they do have that no salt option. You just throw it all in the food processor and whir it up. You can add fresh garlic or parsley if you like, a little cumin to flavor it up, and the sesame tahini, and it's all done. You scoop it out. Put it in a container, a dish or serving dish, or if you want 
to save it for later, put it in a covered Tupperware or glass container. And then you don't have to wash the food processor right away. That's the great thing. Uh, I also made some baked falafel, and uh, I love this. I, I used to love falafel to a point. Falafel is like a little meatball, only it's made from garbanzo beans and fava beans. And they're pureed with a lot of wonderful herbs and spices. Depending on where you go, the, the proportions or flavors might vary a little bit. But most of the time, the falafel will have parsley and cilantro, coriander, cumin. Sometimes they're spicy, they're spicier than others. But typically, it's a puree of these ingredients, the beans and the herbs, and then put in a bowl and deep fried. And uh, it's the deep frying that, I don't know, I don't, I'm really not into fried foods anymore. And when you're so not used to eating fried foods and you have them, they don't feel very good in your tummy. In fact, I remember I had spent some time in Israel, this was a long time ago, and they have falafel stands everywhere. And when I first got there, I thought, okay... I'll be a tourist, I'll try a falafel, and the oil was so old that it was fried in and so rancid, I ate like a bite of the sandwich and couldn't keep it down. <laughs> now, that may or may not happen in the restaurants that you go to, but I prefer to stay away from fried food. And just by making a mix of the garbanzo bean, if you want, you can add in fava beans too, and these different herbs. Blend it all up in the same food processor that you made the hummus in without cleaning it. It's all, it makes it a lot easier. Um, you make this dough almost that you can form into patties or balls and put them on a baking sheet in the oven and bake them up. And they're really good. They don't need to be fried. And then... Probably by the time you've gotten this done, the eggplant's finished, and you can take it out carefully. It's hot. Let it cool a little bit. And you want to remove the skin, and, and the eggplant will be really soft. The skin just peels right off. So easy. You can scoop the inside out, put it in the same food processor without cleaning it, because all of these ingredients are really the same. And you can add some fresh lemon or lime juice and sesame tahini. Whir that up into a lovely, creamy, smooth, light baba ganoush. And then scoop that out into a serving dish. Then you can just cut up some fresh parsley, cucumber, tomato, squeeze a little lemon on it, and you have a lovely cucumber salad. And you're pretty much ready to go. Serve all these things up together. I made some soft bun so instead of using pita bread which is fine but I try and t stay away from wheat uh, I just whipped up a bun recipe to put the falafel on and these other sides and the primary ingredient for the bun that I used is garbanzo flour so Garbanzo beans are just magical. And I like making a lot of different ingredients. I like making a lot of different dishes from 
basically the same ingredients. I think it works better when you're digesting fewer ingredients together, but you can really be creative making very different things from the same foods. And garbanzo beans are really good like that. Uh, the other thing that I worked on this week was a recipe for baked apples. It's funny, when I was a kid, the first baked apple I ever had, my mom made it, and she made it for a friend of hers who had type 1 diabetes. This was a long time ago when most people didn't have diabetes. It was kind of unusual. And this is when diet soda first came out. And my mom found a recipe probably in some magazine like Good Housekeeping or something like that where you would core the apples and pour a little diet cherry soda in the apple and bake it. And uh, she did that for her friends because she didn't want to give her anything with sugar. And we got to have some of these and I thought they were gross because I really didn't like that flavor of the artificial sweetener in the diet soda. Something that most people are very used to today because diet soda is a really popular thing. And I stayed away from baked apples for a very long time because, because of this, because my memory was, oh, that's a weird thing. And uh, I have since become reaccustomed to baked apples. And when you use an organic quality apple. There's not a whole lot you need to do to it to make the baked apple really be spectacular. But this recipe that we just put up on the responsibleeatingandliving.com website is very simple. A cord organic baked apple. We use the Fuji. It's kind of tart with a certain amount of sweetness. It's an apple that I like a lot. has a little bit of a crunch to it. And I chopped up almonds, raisins, pretty fine, and sprinkled in a little cinnamon and nutmeg, tossed that together, and filled the apples with that, put them in a baking dish, put a little water in the bottom, about a half inch, and then baked them until they were soft. And these are really, really delicious. And you can use almonds, but if you have an allergy to almonds, don't want to use almonds, you can use any, any nut or seed, sesame seeds, pumpkin seeds. That combination of nut, seed, and dried fruit is really very nice. And, there, and you don't really need a lot to make it special. And then it makes a nice juice in the bottom that, you can drizzle or on the same plate when you serve the baked apple. It's a, such a simple, simple treat and lovely. You can serve it as a dessert. You can serve it as a breakfast or any time. It's just good food. I also like to serve it with a little dollop of our homemade yogurt. And as I've, I've been talking about this for a while, but I've been working on making homemade yogurts, different kinds, and then turning them into 
vegan cheeses. And my last batch of yogurt I made just from almonds. Whereas before I made yogurt from soy milk, adding in a little cashew or adding in a little almond to make it thicker and richer. Uh, I made it this last batch just from almonds and it was really, really amazing. And if you let it get really tart, meaning you can make yogurt in about four hours, but you can let it sit not being refrigerated for longer and it will get tartar. It'll get a stronger flavor. And if you like that, it can be really good. And I made this creamy almond yogurt and it was really nice contrast with the baked apples. The last recipe I'm working on is a noodle pudding. And noodle pudding is traditionally made with egg noodles and cottage cheese, sour cream, cream cheese, and lots of eggs. It's a cholesterol nightmare. I just made my first batch, which I'm really pleased with. Uh, we made an, quote, egg noodle, egg-style noodle from a Talronin recipe and it uses a little silken tofu in the homemade pasta recipe to give that egg feeling in texture and taste and worked out really nicely and then I used some of this almond yogurt that I made as my substitute for the sour cream, the cream cheese and the cottage cheese and it really, really was delicious. I'm looking forward to posting a recipe for that, but I'm not quite ready yet, so don't look for it until I tell you to. Maybe you heard about Bill and Lou. This is really an interesting story that's going on and generating a bit of news and attention. Bill and Lou are oxen. They are a team that have been haying and tilling with students learning about farming at Green Mountain College's farm in Vermont. And Bill and Lou have been doing this for about 10 years. And unfortunately, Lou had a leg injury this summer and is now retired. And Bill won't work with other animals. So what the officials have decided is they want to slaughter these animals and serve them up in the dining hall. And uh, there's a lot of outrage about this decision. And I find it really interesting. Um, certainly I would like Bill and Lou to live out their lives naturally at a sanctuary with people that care for them and care about them. It's unfortunate because oh, so many reasons, but we have around 60 billion land animals every year that are raised for food and tortured and slaughtered. What's the big deal about two? And the thing is, every one of them is a big deal. Every one of those 60 billion is a big deal. 
And when we focus on two, Bill and Lou, give them names, I think people pay attention. But what I would like to see, what I would like people to learn from this is think that Bill and Lou deserve to live out a natural life as do all of those other animals and that we should not be eating them and we should not be slaughtering them. But it's becoming quite a controversy. And I can understand how school officials and people that normally eat meat would think that it's no big deal slaughtering these animals. They're teaching students about sustainable agriculture, locally raised foods, and slaughtering these animals just fits right in that picture. But if people are going to ultimately see the light and realize that animals do deserve to live and not be exploited and not be eaten. Maybe it's through situations like this. Now the other thing is Bill and Lou have, they've been working, they've been plying fields for about a decade, but they have been given a decent life, my understanding is, Whereas animals in factory farms, most of them are probably have, have probably gone mad because they've never really been given a life. They've been confined and crammed, and you just you can't stay sane in that type of situation. So we would like to see these two animals that are sane and sentient given a natural way to end their lives rather than being slaughtered. Uh, I'm glad that this is getting some attention because animals need attention. They need to be making press. People need to be thinking about what they're eating. So my heart goes out to Bill and Lou and the 60 billion land animals that are slaughtered every year and um, hopefully sooner than later this will all come to a compassionate end. Well, that's about it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And again, as I say every time, I really love hearing you, your comments, your questions. Send me an email at info at realmeals.org. Let's continue the conversation. And I'll be back next week with another episode of Ask a Vegan. Have a great week. R-E-A-L Responsible eating and living. Oh, you'll find the real tools for you. Real.